Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2021. I don't know about you, but I am grateful to be back in what's called in the church calendar ordinary time. Ordinary time is the time when you're not preparing for some festival or holiday or doing the festival or holiday. All this month, you know, we've been preparing for Christmas. Now we've celebrated Christmas. And so we're back in ordinary time. We'll be in ordinary time for about the next six weeks. And ordinary time in the church calendar is represented by green. So, I've dressed down a little bit today as we go back into ordinary time. In the middle of February, we'll move into the Lenten season. That's a time when we prepare ourselves for Easter. Remember, I said to you many times as we were doing Advent, that Advent, we prepare ourselves for Christmas, and then Christmas is the beginning of the story, but that story then goes all the way through the death onto the resurrection of Jesus at Easter. In mid-February, we will begin to prepare ourselves for that as well. But for the next month and a half, we're in ordinary time. And as I was thinking and praying about, okay, well, what should we do in this space of time that we have before we get into Lent and begin to prepare ourselves for Easter, I came across this quote that I really liked. A guy said this. He said, do you think that your church has more than its fair share of problems and woes? You have only to read the book of 1 Corinthians to put your own problems in perspective. And I thought to myself, yeah, I, I definitely think I could use some perspective. You could probably use some perspective. As we go in to 2021, it would be good to have perspective. I don't think any of us are unhappy to have 2020 in the rearview mirror, but we all know that 2020 is following us. It's not as if all of the issues of 2020 hit the 31st and, and stopped and we just passed right through. All of 2020 is coming with us into 2021. It would be good to have perspective. And so we're humorously calling this 1 Corinthians, that's the book we're going to do, Church at Its Worst, because the Corinthian church has tons of problems. We'll see that over the next few weeks. Um, but it's, it's great to get some perspective on our own issues, on our own things that we're facing. It's not surprising that the Corinthian church had issues. Um, Corinth is well known in the ancient world as a city of excess. If you were a writer in the ancient world and you had a character, you wanted to signal to the audience that they're a drunk, a lout, a playboy, a carouser, a partier, you would simply have them be from Corinth, and then everyone would know. Corinth was well known for being a city of vice and sin. It's kind of like a mixture between the strip of, uh, of uh, Las Vegas for us and the red light district of New Orleans or something like that. It was known across the ancient world as a city of excess, a city of vice, which makes what happens to the Apostle Paul there so surprising. He's on his second missionary journey. It's maybe 52, 53 BC. He passes through the city of Corinth as he had passed through many Greek cities on this trip. And he has phenomenal success. He spent 18 months 
in the city of Corinth. Now, if you've ever read the book of Acts in the Bible that details the Apostle Paul's travels, he never spends more than a few weeks, occasionally a month or two somewhere. He, he comes in, he does what he can to plant a church, and then he moves on, sometimes of his own volition, sometimes he gets kicked out of the city. 18 months is just a huge amount of time for the Apostle Paul to spend. But he spent 18 months in Corinth, planting the church, building it up. So then sometime, probably mid-54 or so BC, uh, AD, he leaves, finishes his missionary journey, and heads back to Ephesus to begin planning his next trip. But he starts to hear issues going on in the church. As you can imagine, imagine trying to plant a church in some combination of the Las Vegas Strip and the Red Light District of New Orleans. You can well imagine that there would be problems in that church. And he starts to hear about these issues going on. And so he writes the church in Corinth a letter. Now, we don't know what he said because we don't have the letter. It it hasn't been preserved for us. But over the next year, he gets some visitors. People come from Corinth to Ephesus where he is to talk to him, to get his advice, to to tell him about issues. We know from the book of 1 Corinthians about two such visits that he got. They also bring a letter to him from the church. He had written the church. The church writes him back asking a bunch of questions. We don't know what was in that letter either. We only know about these letters because they're referenced in other places in the scriptures. But we don't have his first letter or the Corinthians letter back to him. What we do have is what we call 1 Corinthians. That's Paul's response. So it's kind of unusual. Normally in Paul's letters, he's taking the initiative to write these churches for some reason. With 1 Corinthians, he's responding. He's written them, they've written back, and now he's writing back to them again. So with that as an introduction, read along with me 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to read the first nine verses because that's sort of the, the introduction to the letter, and then we'll talk about it. So follow along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle by Christ, of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, did anything strike you as I read this? Because one of the things I do as I'm preparing a message is I read the commentaries. I go read what other people have said about this passage. And we are really fortunate because there's a ton of commentary about 1 Corinthians. We have people in about 90 AD, so just like 35 years after he writes this, 
commenting on the letter, writing to someone else about Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And so we have this wealth of knowledge, some from the ancient world and some from the modern world. As I was reading this, do you know what all the commentators notice? I mean, the guys writing in 90 AD talk about it, the guys writing in 100 AD talk about it, the guys writing in 150, 200, all the ancient commentators say the same thing about Paul's letter. They talk about how humble he is. Now, I don't know about you, but I missed that going through the first time. But what they explain is the way Paul starts this letter, it's the normal way that you write a letter in their world. In our world, when we write a letter, we start out, dear so-and-so, and then we have the whole letter, and then we end it with who wrote it. So if I'm writing you a letter or I'm writing my mom a letter, right, I'd have hi mom or dear mom or whatever. And then at the end, I'd have love Jeff. And if I was writing AT&T a letter about our phone service, you know, I'd have dear sir or madam. And then at the end, I'd have sincerely Jeff Jansen, pastor, et cetera, et cetera. We have forms to write letters and they did as well. Now for them, they put the person writing the letter. That's the first thing. You know, for us, it's the end. Have you ever gotten a letter where there's no return address on the envelope? What do you do when you open it? I turn to the back page immediately to see who wrote it. Well, for them, maybe they don't have, because they don't have return addresses, who wrote it is the very first thing you say in a letter. And then the next thing you say is who it's addressed to. And normally, in a letter in the ancient world, and we're fortunate, we have thousands and thousands of letters from the ancient world that have been preserved. The normal thing you do is you talk about yourself a little bit. You introduce yourself. You explain why they should listen to you. You're writing them a letter. Why should they listen to you? That's especially true when someone's important. And to, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's very important. Remember, he's the founder of the church. He's the founding pastor of the church of Corinth. He was there for 18 months. He probably installed all the elders. He sent people to do things at the church. Like He's a big deal. And at this point in time, late 50s AD, Paul's a big deal in all of Christianity. He is generally accepted to be an apostle like those first apostles, the, the 11 who were with Jesus. People speak about Peter, the apostle to the Jews, and Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. He's a huge deal. You expect someone who's a big deal to talk about themselves, to say something about themselves. You expect Paul to say something like, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, founder of the church in Corinth. And then if he wants to get really flowery, right, he can elaborate on that bringer of light to the Gentiles across the Greco-Roman world. You, you expect him to, to say something, to build himself up. But listen to what Paul says. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul talks about himself. He says, who's writing it? It's Paul. But then he turns the focus to God. He doesn't focus on himself, which is what you would expect, which is why all those ancient commentators are so surprised, why they talk about how humble he is. He doesn't say, oh yes, I'm an apostle and let me tell you about my experiences. Let me tell you about the contest I won to become an apostle. Let me tell you how I beat out all these other people. He pushes it completely on God. He's called to be an apostle. It's God's will. Paul says, it's not me. I didn't have anything to do with it. It's not, it's not how great I am. That's what you expect in that first paragraph of the letter. For the author to tell you something kind of about how great they are and why you should listen to them. And so many of the commentators note, Paul doesn't do that. He deflects it. He puts it onto God. Notice what else he says in verse two. 
to the church of God in Corinth. Now, by anyone's standard in these days, it was Paul's church. He founded it. He created it. It didn't exist. He came into the city and he made the church. Everyone would expect Paul to say, to my church. That's how he would talk. That's how people talk when they write letters. You know, when, when Julius Caesar writes a letter to the mayors and whatever of some city, right? he doesn't say, hi, this is your friend Jules. He says, Julius Caesar, conqueror of Gaul, vindicator of Britain, protector of Rome, the man who established such and such and so and so. Paul says it's God's church. Again, he takes what you expect which is that he'll point to something he did because he did it. I mean, he wouldn't be lying in saying to the church I founded in in Corinth. That would be a totally true statement, but he doesn't say that. He turns it, he deflects it to God. All the ancient commentators talk about Paul's humility, but those two things, the fact that he doesn't talk about how he became an apostle and, and why that's really important and he's really important and he doesn't talk about how he's the founding pastor of the church and The thing that really blows their mind is the end of verse one. Paul, etc., and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes is Paul's scribe. You know, Paul is dictating this letter. Someone else is writing it. And and that's how everyone wrote letters in the ancient world. You you hired someone, you got someone to write for you. Writing is an elaborate skill. You've got to know exactly how much ink to get on your brush. You've got to know the paper. You get someone to come in and write. You dictate. Everyone does that. No one ever names their scribes. I mean, he's putting his scribe on the same level as himself as if the scribe were an author. We don't even do that today. You know, I'm reading a book by a pastor I I really like, and at the end of the book, in the acknowledgments, he says that this book originally was a series of sermons that he wrote, and he thanks his two assistants, one who took his sermons and transcribed them, put them in written form, and another who took his sermons and made rough drafts of an outline for the book, created chapters from the sermons and and blocked everything out. In other words, it's his thoughts. He, He made the sermons, he preached the sermons, but he had scribes. He had people who wrote it down for him, who turned what he said into the written word. That's Sosthenes. Nobody puts your two assistants on the cover page. The title of this book isn't, you know, title, well-known Christian author, and Tim and Susan, my assistants. Like, they don't go on the, on the front cover of the book. But that's what Paul's doing here. He's putting his scribe on par with himself. He's calling him a brother. Nobody does this, and, and I mean that literally. We have thousands of letters in the ancient world. Nobody lists their scribe on the very first line. Paul does it all the time. All of Paul's letters, almost all of Paul's letters, he includes other people. Paul and Timothy and Silas and this person and that person. All the ancient commentators note Paul's humility, how he doesn't talk about himself. Yes, he introduces himself, but he talks about God. He talks about other people. He moves things. He takes, this is the first paragraph of his letter, verses one to three. He takes what everyone expects that he'll introduce himself and say, hey, this is to the church in Corinth, and he turns it, 
and he makes it be about God and what God is doing. And he does the same thing in the second paragraph. In his letter, the second paragraph will be verses four through nine. And just like I said in an ancient letter, you have this form, you introduce yourself, you say who the letter's from, who the letter's to, you talk about yourself, how great you are, something like that. In the second paragraph, what you do is you talk about how great the people you're writing are. That's what you say to them. You butter them up, if you will. Like that, that, That's just the way you write. So back in the book of Acts, Paul gets arrested. And when he gets arrested, he gets put on trial before the Roman governor. The governor's name is Felix. The prosecuting attorney is a Jewish lawyer. Okay? Listen to how the Jewish lawyer begins his case against Paul. He's talking to Felix, the Roman governor. This is what he says to Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Now, I can assure you, no Jew in Roman occupation in Israel at this point in time thought they were in a period of a long peace. They in no way, shape, or form thought that the Romans were making great reforms in their nation. And they did not, quote, in every way, everywhere, acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Everything that guy just said is a lie. But that's how you talk. That's how you write. You say something to butter the person up. You tell how great you are, why they should listen to him. You tell how great they are. Listen to what Paul says as he starts in this second paragraph. I always thank my God for you because, and what you expect him to do is talk about how great the Corinthians are. I thank my God because you were so good to me, because you understood things so well, because you're so smart, you're so powerful, you're so impressive. I thank God because you did something. You have something. That's what you would expect in an ancient letter. What does Paul say? I thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Like Paul does what you expect in the second paragraph. He talks about the people he's writing to. He did exactly what you expect in the first paragraph. He introduced himself, but then he didn't do what you expect. He didn't tell how great he was. He shifted it over to God. He does what you expect in the second paragraph. He talks about the people he's writing to, the Corinthians, but he doesn't do what you expect because he doesn't praise them, he praises God. He talks about all that God has done for him. Just listen to everything Paul says God has done, okay? This is past, this is stuff that's already done. Paul says God has done this in the past, it's over. He says in verse four, God has given them grace. He says in verse five, God has enriched them in every way. He says in verse six, God has confirmed what he, Paul, had told them when he was there. He says in verse seven, God has given them every spiritual gift they need. He says in verse nine, God has called them into fellowship with Jesus. Paul talks about the Corinthians but really he talks about God and he lists all these things that God has already done and that's not all. He goes on to talk about the things that God will do in verse eight. He says God will keep you firm. You will be blameless when Jesus returns 
because Jesus will return. That's what the day of Christ means, the day that Christ returns and sets all things right. He talks about all these things God's done for him in the past. He talks about all the things God's gonna do for him in the future. He will make them blameless. He will keep them firm. Jesus will return. You know, and you got the past, you got the future, so just to round it out in verse nine, he throws in a present, and God is faithful. Talks about what God is doing. All this stuff in the past, he reminds them of. God's present faithfulness, he reminds them of. God's future faithfulness, what he will be doing for them in the future, God, he reminds them of over and over again. Paul turns the letter to talk about God. He should focus on himself in the first paragraph, but instead he introduces himself and focuses on God. He should focus on the Corinthians in the second paragraph, but instead he talks to the Corinthians but he focuses on God. Paul keeps taking our eyes and pointing them on Jesus. Did you notice how many times Jesus is referenced? There are 11 references in these nine verses to Jesus. And there's another eight to God. 19 times in nine verses, Paul talks in some way about God. That, that, you see, that's over two times a verse. What Paul wants to talk about, where Paul begins this letter to this church that is literally the church at, the, at its worst, is talking about God. And I think, wow, um, you know, that is a great bit of perspective. As we're trying to gain perspective here at the beginning of the year, we're trying to set ourselves up for 2021. I think this is the same perspective that Paul wants them to have is a perspective that we should have. Because did you notice the only thing that they're doing in this whole passage? Right, the second part where you expect him to say, oh, you're so great, you've done these things and all. There's only one thing he says they're doing. It's in verse seven. You eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That's all they're doing is waiting, Paul says. God is doing all the rest. God in the past, God in the present, God in the future. That's a perspective that we need as well. Because come with me back to verse two. Because that's the part, verse one is where he introduces himself. Verse two is where he says who it's to. Notice who Paul says this letter is to. Verse two, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours. Paul says he's not just writing to the Christians in Corinth. He's writing to all Christians everywhere. What he has to say is true for all believers, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. If you call on the name of the Lord, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, then these words are true for you. Everything Paul says that God did for the Corinthians, God has done for us as well. Think about that. Let me read that list to you again of all the things that God has has done for them and also for us. God has given us grace in Christ Jesus. God has enriched us in every way. God has given us every spiritual gift we need. God has called us into fellowship with Jesus. God is faithful to us. God will keep us firm. God will see us blameless when Jesus will return. All those things that are listed in the passage, they're all true for us. This is the first bit of perspective that we need in the new year. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Paul is not going to ignore the problems in the church of Corinth. There's 16 chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are one-third of the way through the first chapter. And starting next week, we start in on problems. Paul's spending a third of one out of 16 chapters to put people's eyes on God. And then he's gonna dive headfirst, and so will we, into all the issues that they are facing. He's not saying, oh, look at God and ignore everything else. But he is saying we need to look at God. Because problems and hard times, that just tracks us away from Christ. You know, over and over again, the scriptures encourage us, command us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's exactly how Paul starts. Again, 19 times in nine verses, he says something about God. I think that's the first bit of perspective we need as we enter into 2021, that we keep our eyes on Christ. That like them, yes, there's issues, we'll talk about them, we'll deal with them. But the first thing we do is keep our eyes on Christ. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that? We're just a couple days in to a new year. How are you doing at keeping your eyes focused on Christ? Are there things you need to do to make Paul's perspective your perspective? That before Paul dives into the problems, and again, he will. He's not going to ignore them. He's absolutely going to deal with them. But first... The first thing he's going to talk about is God. The first thing he's going to do is remind us that God was at work in the past. God is at work in the present. God will be at work in the future. This is God who is doing these things. We're not going to keep ourselves blameless. I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at my life and I think, seriously, I'm going to be blameless? I don't think so. But that's what scripture says over and over again. It's not that we're gonna keep ourselves blameless. He is gonna keep us blameless. It's not that we're gonna keep ourselves firm. He is gonna keep us firm. Paul reminds them and he reminds us because just like them, we call on the name of the Lord, that God is at work. He was at work in the past. He's at work in the present. He will be at work in the future. Is there anything you need to do as we start in to 2021 for you to help keep that perspective. Yes, there are problems all over the place, but God, we need to keep our eyes focused on God. So let me tell you what I do, a Bible reading plan. I mean, you knew this was coming, right? After last week's sermon, one of the best ways to keep your eyes on Christ is just to be in his word every day, just a little bit. Every day. I don't mean sit down and read the whole Bible in a week or a month. I mean read the whole Bible in a year. I mean, if you don't have time for that, if that seems too daunting, then do a plan that takes you through the story of the Bible in a year. Do a plan that takes you through something, but just a little bit every day. It is one of the best ways for you to keep your eyes on Christ that every day you come back to the scriptures you come back to the word of God. If you have not determined to be regularly in the scriptures, let me encourage you, let me plead with you to get a Bible reading plan. 
Again, go to the front page of our website, demodychurch.org. There's a section that says, read the scriptures with us. We've got links to several plans there, and we've got links to links of tons of plans out there. You can get them on your phone. You can probably get them on your car these days. You can get them on your TV. You can get them on your computer. Heck, you can be old school like me and just read it out of the book. If you haven't determined to do that, let me encourage you that that is one of the best ways for you to keep your eyes on Christ.